Alley in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it. Alley in the hole! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for September 20th. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. Please go and do that. I want to tell you about our friends at Homage as well. Homage is an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to be homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across music and pop culture and sports. Brendan's got an amazing Jimmy Butler tee on right now. Use the link below in our show notes and make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. Please go and do that. All right, today's show later on, we're going to have Caitlin Cooper, who you may know for her amazing work covering the Indiana Pacers for a long time. Right now, she can find her on Patreon at Basketball She Wrote. She covers all NBA there, all basketball there, really, but her lens oftentimes is the Indiana Pacers. She used to write for a long time in Indy Cornrows. She's your bas- she's she's one of the the basketball content creators, writers, people that your favorite basketball writer is reading. And, and your favorite NBA player, Tyrese Halliburton, shouted her out. Do you remember that? I mean, if yeah, if yeah, Tyrese Halliburton the, thinks she's smart, yeah. and Tyrese Halliburton's smarter than I'll ever be, I'm going to go ahead and defer to him. But I just you know I believe that I believe in your intelligence. Just want to make that clear. Thank you. Okay. Just saying. Just want to make that. sure you feel I, I believe you. I appreciate that. Okay. But, you know, Tyrese yeah. is smarter yeah. than me. I think that's... I think At least that's in, okay. I'm thinking I'm, about... I'm, I'm thinking about... In, basca- in basketball. I think other things, you know, like... what, Like, mm. move, like I bet you have deeper, like, movie knowledge or, like, mm. you know... I watched Training Day for the first time. We can talk about that yeah. later. Yeah. you the, that That's one of those things, Brennan. Like, if you watch one, like, a certain movie... And you watch for the first time. I need you to text me immediately. Like, have you ever watched Midnight Run? No. I need you to watch Midnight Run, and then we. That I would like. I I just watched the movie, and now I'm obsessed, and I'm really mad we don't make movies like that anymore. Um, we don't make as many good basketball writers like Caitlin Clark anymore. Caitlin Cooper. It's true make because SB Nation just laid them all off yeah. for no reason. Yeah, somehow I made the cut and Caitlin didn't. That's really, really troubling as a business model, if I'm being honest. Uh, but we're gonna open today's show with the Oklahoma City Thunder. A team that I mean, this might be the the official team of the just basketball. Every show, basketball nerd, yeah, yeah. So maybe we got a. It's like that and the Magic. I think are the two that everyone's gotten like kind of are riding that wave a little bit. You but know what I, Thunder, I think? Can we just agree? I mean, we'll talk about the Thunder in a second. We'll go most important player. We're going to be talking about all the good stuff. Well, we we already joke we're going to spend an hour on them. We'll see if we can get the under there, but we might have to just own the Minnesota Timberwolves being our team. We haven't gotten to their preview yet, but. It might just be me. I don't want to force that onto you, but we definitely love Anthony Edwards. And, you know, I'm a defender of a lot of their talent. I love Jade McDaniels. I'm a Gobert trade truther. That might just have to be the one that we just own. I can't get you there with the Gobert trade truthing thing. That's just like a little much for me. Um, Coming off FIBA, I might be backing off of that. I have to admit. That's smart. Yeah, I wouldn't be feeling wonderful about that one, my guy. But, yeah, I think I think... I think it's probably in our best interest to like pick one team in each conference that's a little weird, mm-hmm. and the the Wolves are absolutely a little bit weird. So maybe we just got to find like the Eastern Conference equivalent of the Timberwolves. I mean, it's not going to be weird in the East. The pick that comes to mind, but I'm just letting you know that if the Lillard trade does happen, which we talked a little bit about on the Monday show, I'm gonna be obsessive about that team because that's gonna be so, a blast to watch. I'm like really just want that to happen for my own personal enjoyment because I can't imagine like a better fit, but I digress. So you, you, Brennan's like shopping like for name brands is what he's telling me right now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I like the favorite in the conference. That's my team, but you know, it is what it is. No, the Thunder are definitely our team though. And can we just start with most important? Cause I, I, I mean, I did not put Shea Gilgis Alexander because Similar to some of the other previews we've done. It's yeah. not that I think he's a finished product, but I expect him to have a very similar season, get 5-10% better maybe. But we know what Shea is. So that's built into what we already think. That's that's baked into the pie. Chet Holmgren is my most important player. So he, I have him in our next category, but... Okay. 
I don't think this is an unreasonable pick. I think this is a good pick. I think this is someone that is obviously going to get to really get his NBA career going this year. Missed all of last season. Was on the select team. I think it's someone that has a ton of upside that I think we're pretty high on. General basketball people are very, very high on. I think he has the potential, you know, in a world where they also have Josh Giddy and, and both Jalen Williams, but wing Jalen Williams in particular. Mm-hmm. Chet has the potential to be the second best guy on this team behind Shea and gives them something they don't have. I mean, they, this is a team that has yeah. really kind of thumbed their nose at centers and <laughs> wanting to play big men. And mm-hmm. Chet isn't exactly your traditional, like they didn't go and get like, he's not Jakob Pertl, but like younger and <laughs> sexy. God. But like, this is someone who's going to play Vooch. the five and, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did like, they didn't like get Bismack Biombo to like eat center minutes, which like I don't think that's an unreasonable thing for teams to do. But this is someone that could fill these minutes in a really yeah. unique way, and absolutely, if it clicks away for him, the ceiling of this team gets a lot higher. But you know what's an interesting comp though? While we're on that topic, is the Pelicans and Grizzlies both did go get Jakob Pertl effectively, right? Like those teams yeah. had a lot of perimeter talent, and they said we need a little bit of traditionality at the big man spot and they got Steven Adams and Jonas Valanciunas and then they traded them for each other. So now they've both had both of those guys, right? So I think it is noteworthy to, to, to look at how the thunder are building and what Chet represents. Normally I start with these on like the individual profile and the stats that jump out and why they're ready for a leap or doing something that is unique or why they're going to matter. I think in this case, it actually does make the most sense to start from the team side because Here's kind of what the Thunder were working with last year. They allowed the 13th most at-the-rim shots last season. They were worse in the NBA in finishing. Mm -hmm. Poor offensive rebounding team. And as a result, their half-court offense was actually not that great. It was fine, but it wasn't great, despite an MVP season from Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So it would be one thing to say that the Thunder have, you know, eschewed centers and like been awesome anyway. They've been good anyway, but their statistical profile looks like they don't have a center on their team. Like you just, you look and you're like, oh yeah, figures. And so to add one who is as good as I think we expect Chet to be and how kind of well-established he's already been at the different checkpoints of his career from Gonzaga to the summer league to, you know, the select team and some of the, you know, extracurricular hype that guys tend to get. It's, it's all headed in the right direction for him to not only be good, potentially be a great player in his own right as a number three overall pick should be, but also to really make them better. Um, and so that's what's exciting to me. His redshirt season too, I mean, this is this is a guy who, like Ben Simmons or some of these other Joel Embiid, some of these players who miss a year and come in, like that helps. There is an adjustment to what life is like, what professionalism is like what your teammates are like in the nba that he is going to have a level a year under his belt with that a lot of guys don't have that shouldn't be overlooked so i think the ideal thing with chet is he should fill in a lot of gaps that they had last year while not hurting what their identity already is because the thing that makes him a unicorn is he can do all those things he can finish he can offensive rebound he can protect the rim but he also should be able to play within kind of their five out identity he can play a faster paced game. He can fit into what they were already great at. So I have extremely high expectations for him, even, you know, obviously setting aside the fact that he's coming off an injury and is a super young player. But if that gets figured out and he just ingrains into the NBA well, I think he should be really, really impactful for them immediately. Really curious what it looks like physically. I mean, not just from an injury standpoint, but if I had concerns about him coming into the league. It was a thinness thing, and he's had a year to even with a foot injury. I he's I'm surely been able to add muscle and get stronger and grow into his body a little bit. I mean, this is. I mean, do you remember when him and Paolo were like hanging out before the draft, and there was like photos of them? Do you remember some of this? I think so. So like you can you can find them like dude, looking really like Paolo looks like very cool with like chains on, and then like and then like Chet also has a has like a chain, but he looks ridiculous because his body's like too thin for the chain. And he's sure. also just like this tall, awkward-looking white guy who, like, I feel like mm-hmm. should be wearing like, f- like, doing what I do in the fall, which is like wear flannel and like listen to sad boy music. Honestly, I mean, not to like a nice, my... like some nice denim would be more what. Yeah, 
should be thrown on. Yeah. yeah, like I feel like he could wear like a like the rock the shit out of a sweater polo, you know? Sure. You know, he's also from but, from Minnesota. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, it fits. Like yeah, yeah. But he's like this is someone that I expect to like have a little bit more mass on his body, and like I think him getting time. Yeah. Like we're not going to get to see the point of him going from Gonzaga to to this full gap year basically because of the injury doesn't exactly give us a great read on like what his strength would have looked like in year one. But I do think like there's something to learn in what he's going to look like. I think physically, um, Brendan, I was sit at one ninety five last year. That's what's on his basketball light. reference page. So that is, and that is light. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Bilal Koulibaly in the wizards preview on Monday and he was l- l- listed at two thirty. Yeah. And that guy doesn't Which look I, big. So if you're telling me he's 35 pounds heavier than Chet, yeah, Chet has some some ways to go, but I think he'll get there. So my most important player is Shea. Yeah. Like, I, I understand this is the obvious one. I understand this is, like, I'm, I'm doing what I'm making fun of you for picking the heat, that I just, like, pick the obvious and pick the name brand. Like, I was like, what's your favorite pop? I was like, Coca-Cola, you know? Yeah, yeah. But this is someone who just, I think, was of – one of the best two like had a, like was a legitimate all nba guy was mm-hmm. an engine of a really interesting offense is someone that i think should still keep getting better and i think we're going to learn like how much can he elevate how much better can he get can he like at all i i do also just think i tend to think i want to see guys sustain it i do want to mm-hmm. see him do like what he did last year for a year two years until it like really really solidifies over a big sample scale and now this team has i think a little bit more expectation a little bit more hype does he raise his game as they raise their game and where does that go i mean it's not this like this is someone that i think will still continue to see grow for a long time mm-hmm. but coming off of fiba at the age he's at i think this is another prime year for him to take another level and what that looks like is like a top like seven NBA player. Like the ceiling on this guy is that high. I don't know if he's like top seven right now, but I think he could get there by the end of this year. And what I mean, that he was means top five done. MVP, right? Right, but uh, yeah, and like obviously that that has like some different like there, there's like correlating that one to one is always a little bit tricky to me. It is, but know? I mean at the end of the day, right? Like he, yeah, he had a top five season in a in an NBA season. So you're right. I mean, he he's already on his way there. I mean, the thing to me that's interesting is. What does he get better at? What does that actually look like? What do you think that looks like? Because I look at his statistical profile, and over the course of the past two seasons with Oklahoma City, after Chris Paul left, he basically was showing us he could do this. He just played 68 games this time. And when I look at the stats, I think the biggest thing I can point to that uh, improved would be that he, uh, two things, he cut his turnover rate, but only by a little, and he got to the line a shit ton more. That's the big one. He, his, his shooting fouled percentage, the number of, of shot attempts that he gets fouled on went up from 14 to 20%. He was in the 100th percentile among how much he got fouled out of how many shots he took. And he really jumped in free throw percentage. So he just had an all-time historical free throw season. That, I mean, there's like 50 other people that the NBA employs who have a lot to say about if that continues, right? That That's probably the thing I would be, in terms of continuing it, that I would be looking at. But what do you think he can do to take to go to another level? If, if we assume the free throw stuff kind of continues, what what's past yeah. that? I think assist-wise, his assist percentage dropped a little bit last year, like dropped like 5%. You know, mm-hmm. that, some of that could just be guys miss shots, but I do think, like, can he ramp that back up into, like, the top 10% of assist percentages, maybe even top 5%, which is where he was two years ago in 35 games. And, like, I think with Chet, I think there's a possibility that he just has another outlet. And I, I do yeah. think defensively, I think maybe if there's more, if, like, Giddy takes a forward as a creator, if Wing Jalen Williams takes a step forward, if Chet gives them something on offense, and maybe there's just another gear defensively he can hit. I mean, I do think what he was as a rookie defensively and where he's ended up is it's changed just because of the role he has taken on. He's still, but he's still really big. He's six, six as he gets stronger, as he gets older, as he gets smarter, how do, what does he look like as a defender? Does he become like the optimal two way version of him that I think is, is really fun to fantasize about. Cause it's a, it's a kind of guard that like, 
he has he has a higher defensive upside to me just based on what we've seen and, and what we kind of understand about him. I think that's a lot higher than you know some of the other guards in his age range. Like I think it's higher than Lamelo. It's higher than Ja. It's higher than Darius Garland. It's higher than any of those other young guys. Yeah. He's got a defensive ceiling and versatility that I believe in much more than any any of those guys. But I I, I want to see a little bit more of it this season. Yeah, that's probably fair. I tend to think he kind of tops out as like a good team defender. You know, which is like, like, but like that—that's above what some other guys are for his usage rate and his offensive role. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's worth saying. So I—I think the first thing you said is where I would, where I would want to see too, because at Canada or for Canada at the World Cup, he also played the similar style to what he played this past year for the Thunder. And until we really see it happen with somebody who's not James Harden or LeBron James, I don't fully buy that somebody with a 35% usage and a 25 to 30% assist rate is going to lead a championship team. You know, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't think that's what it's going to look like. And especially when you have uh, enough other perimeter talent on this team that you already can see him needing to adjust for as soon as this year, they all love him. So when I say this, I don't mean it to be that I think that there's any reason to think it won't happen, but how does he make his teammates better? How does he, besides just being so good that he lifts them up because he can score every time or he can create a good shot every time, how does he actually make everybody around him better? Does he take more threes to allow himself to fit off ball better? Does he lower his usage a little bit? Does he buy in more on defense or it, or are, am I just completely wrong about the heliocentric nature of his game and actually he is just as good as James Harden and he'll he'll do it and he'll make a contending team by himself I mean I, I don't know I'm not not willing to say that can't happen because he is still only 25 but that that would be my question and I think that there's so much talent on this team that it's kind of inevitable that there's going to be a balancing here yeah, and I think as guys get better, I think that might come naturally. I think he yeah. seems like someone who will be amenable to some of that. Uh, player we'll be talking about most at the end of the season. I do just go with Chet. I don't think we need to rehash anything of what you said, but for me, it's about... This is, to me, like the second most promising player and most important long-term player for this team, and I think mm-hmm. he establishes himself, and we and we see him... You know, like being in the rookie of the year running this year, which is going to like, I mean, he is going to be eligible for that, obviously, because he didn't play his, his actual what should have been his rookie year. Who would you You're pick right get now? The, I think you kind of have to pick Vic, but like, would it surprise me if there's like a world where Chet like is maybe just a little bit cleaner in year one, and he like actually, and maybe he plays more games. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. It's like you you have to just assume that Victor Wembanyama is going to play sixty five games, and like. It's going to be a That's fun race be. when you include Scoot too. It's going to be a pretty fun mm-hmm. sub. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Wembenyama like this isn't a Spurs pod, we've done that already. But if if Wembenyama is what he's supposed to be, then he should win this. It would would be what I would say. But yeah, for sure. Ch- Chet, if you're talking about like young, interesting bigs, he's like up there with the best ones you could think of right now. It's like him and Mobley and Wembenyama. It's like he's in that class of guy, just like y'all must have forgot because it's been a year since we've seen him play basketball. Yeah, in summer league, nearly four blocks per game, 61% shooting from two. He didn't make his threes, but pretty much everything else came along like you would like. You know, He might struggle with fouling this year, especially because he's still going to be smaller than a lot of guys, but um, I think he'll make a big impact, as I said. All right, my player we're going to be talking about, you know where we're going. It's Jalen Williams. It's J-Dub. After the All-Star break last year, 22 games, Jalen Williams put up 19-5-4 on 55-43-88 shooting. At Summer League, he embarrassed the host team in the Utah Jazz. I believe that's who he played. Mm-hmm. And this dude just lives at the rim already. Nearly half of 48% of his shots last year came at the rim. Made 70% of them. That's like a center. Got fouled 12% of the time. Already has a better than 2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Already in the 70th percentile as a defensive impact. Uh, in terms of his defensive impact per dunks and threes, they're estimated plus minus. Like, I kind of almost didn't put him because we already were talking about him. 
like JJ Redick and others kind of tried to half-heartedly make the case for him to win rookie of the year last year over Paolo. Mm-hmm. But I just think this guy, like, I mean, it's kind of all right there for him. And we talked about it a little bit with Chet. We've mentioned Giddy's name. What are the chances right now that, like, putting our guess out right now, but forecasting out into the future, let's say at Jalen Williams's peak, five, six years from now when all these guys are at their peaks, what are the chances Jalen Williams is the second best player on this team? Let's start there. Over Chet, over Giddy, over whatever other picks or stuff that could come in the future. I mean, we don't know that, but let's just so let's just say what's on the roster right now. Fifteen percent, twenty percent, somewhere in there. Because I just think I think that highly of Chet. I kind of think I'm all in on Giddy. Mm. So I sk- mm. I skew a little bit lower, even if the frame, even if some of the defensive stuff, even if some of the the athleticism stuff that I think maybe separates him from Giddy. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of maybe creates some different l- lack of overlap, let's say, with, with Shea and the way that there might there could be with Giddy in some ways. The shooting, certainly. I think I would go up somewhere between like 15 and 20%. But I, that's, that's, I don't think that to me, for me personally, Brendan, that says to me, for me, more about what I feel about Chet than I, and what I feel about Giddy than, I, than me being lower on Jalen Williams. Yeah, I think he's going to be better than Giddy like, right now, to be honest. So I think it's him or Chet. And then I think, you know, so he's 6'6 with a 7'2 wingspan and all that stat- statistical stuff that I already said, and he's strong as hell, right? Like he can yeah. really impact games defensively, offensively, both with how much force he can he can play with. What are the chances he's the best player on this team at his peak? Is there any? Like is better, it zero? Is Shea in another team? No. Then I I think like I'm not gonna say zero percent because stuff can just happen, but it's like it's like less than five percent. So the Shea one- is that like are because because you're saying if he surpasses Shea, that either mm-hmm. means Shea to me has regressed or that Jalen Williams is like a top five NBA player, and I top five NBA player is just like that's. Well, you just gave the caveat that Shea getting the MVP stuff does not mean he's a top okay, five player. Top, I think we okay, would say right now Shea's a top MVP. 10 to 15, 10 probably, 10 yeah. player. I I, th- I think even Jalen Williams surpassing that Can't is like... Okay. That, that's, just, I, that's just a very high bar. No, it is. He could be top two. It's just a high bar. To pour some cold water on that, he's already 22, right? So his his rookie season was when he was 21. So we can like get super excited about what he looked like right out of college, but he was in college longer than most guys. You would think he should probably be dominating, right? Like his second contract is going to be covering his entire prime, basically, rather than even Shea, for instance, who was like, you know, freshly 19 when he came into the league. And that's why we're seeing his breakout. Basically now he's only like two and a half years older than Jalen Williams. So that would be the case against it is, you know, what, what, how much higher is Jalen Williams ceiling than what he's already at? considering his age but i think there is a really decent chance that he is the second best player on this team i don't probably think his uh, his creation ability is going to be good enough to be the best um but um that just speaks to how loaded this team is and like if jalen williams was just thought of as like a no-brainer future all-star by the end of this year that would not surprise me I mean, they are. I mean, just young talent overall. They are just ridiculously stacked to be in, in a great spot with all of these guys. Like they are just in an obscene position with the amount of young talent they have. It is the. It's truly, I imagine, the envy of most every team. Presti did it team again. League. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really wild. But like that, like you would if you were to make a list and go like, what are the best conglomerations of great young cores in NBA history, you would probably put this iteration of the Thunder rebuilding and the first iteration of the Thunder rebuilding near the top in the modern era. Like they might be one and two and he did both, which is crazy. Yeah. Nuts. All right. Let's move on to the next part of our preview, Brendan, which is going to be best lineup. Um, I think, I, I think some of this does. I am curious to see how we both handle Chet in this, 
just because I think with him and being effective right away, I think there is some projection involved there for a team that did have successful lineups last year. Just to pull up their last season uh, data on cleaning the glass. This is a team that obviously just like there there is going to be some continuity here. The best lineup they had last season that that like there is some. There is a little bit of goofiness in some of their data if you go in and look at it a little bit. Um, but their best lineup that played 150 possessions or more, Shea, Jay Will, Dort, Giddy, Muscala at the five. Um, they had another one that played 153. That was Shea, Jay Will, Dort, Giddy, and then Kenrich Williams was ostensibly the five. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, again, speaking to how well set up they are, it's the top... You know, I, they didn't have a ton of positive lineups because they had so many injuries, but all yeah. of their best lineups had those four with Shea, J-Dub, Dort, and Giddy. You know, and then it was just like, because they didn't really have a center, it's just kind of whoever the fifth guy was going to be. Um, so that's like for, where like I went for, with this. Well, but just for context real quick, the note yeah. is, because just as a note of how chaotic last year was a little bit for them, Mm-hmm. 8,134 8, possessions for the Thunder. Mm-hmm. The most common lineup was 620 possessions. That's not a lot. Second most common lineup, 207 possessions. And that yeah. one didn't even have Shane. That was Isaiah Joe, Jay Will, Dort, Giddy, and Jay Will. Just a J. weird Will. lineup. I guess Giddy, weird. that's kind of like the Giddy point guard lineup, right? But that's um, just like, it's like Isaiah Joe is your obstensile, like, like, like guarding ones that played that was your second most used lineup at 207 possessions that's like what silly like that yeah well and it's also funny to just look at the positions that cleaning the glass like attributes to everybody because it just speaks to how interchangeable they were and how small they played it's like giddy is the four in as far as this stat this site shows and then j-dub was the two uh it's a little funny but i'll do my best lineup all right Best lineup for the 2024 Oklahoma City Thunder is very similar to what they had last year. Shea Gilgis-Alexander at the one, MVP candidate. He will be likely even better in year five. Josh Giddy is a make-everybody-better type. He leveled up in Australia, and I expect his scoring and playmaking to be yet another level higher here in year three. I think Jalen Williams, J-Dub has to be in this lineup. I'm expecting a massive breakout for him. I think he is one of the best young players in the entire league, lives at the rim, impacts the game defensively, is only going to get better. I do have Lou Dort in this lineup. His shot is probably never going to be reliable, but he's one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. Athletic, physical, makes everybody's life a little bit easier on both ends because of the chaos factor. And then Chet Holmgren has to be in here. Still one of the only real centers on this team and is going to plug a lot of holes at the rim, in the paint, around the basket for a team that sorely needs that. Did you have the same thing as me? Tell me your tell me your five back to me real quick. That's one. Shea, Giddy, J Dub, Dort, Chet. Yeah, that's the five. That I mean, that has. It's pretty easy. It's the same four who were in all their best lineups, and then the best center that they're getting, who is number two pick or number three pick. So, like, as much as we are optimistic about them, I think it's worth noting that, like, there is still some questions about what the overall depth on the roster becomes. Like, I really like Dort, but you do mention the, the shot volatility with him. I think that's a real concern. Like, Isaiah Joe is a guy that I think is going to give you good value as a shooter and is, like, a really cheap option. But, you know, there there's some limits in his game. Do you, are you going to get anything out of Ushman Diang? Are you going to get anything about you know out of out of big Jalen Williams this year in a different way that kind of maybe elevates him? I really like Kenrich Williams, but it can be hard to find... Uh, minutes for him and space for him times just because there are some limitations in in what he does well especially because him and jay will are so similar right like you saw jalen williams step up once ken rich got hurt yeah and he's 28 and can they both play yeah yeah like do you like is that someone on a cheap contract could you get more not that you need more picks but like could you flip him just to clear more ways this is the team that i think is still searching for some of these other fringe young guys whereas they've nailed the upper echelon stuff which is definitely more important but like Ushman Diang hasn't hit. Poku has not hit. Like Darius Baisley hasn't like hit. Like they have not found that next kind of mid-tier kind of deep role guy that just kind of clicks fully that you trust fully that isn't super similar to these other guys yet. I think that Darius Baisley appreciates your your reference there. He's out of the league. Brother's gone. Um, I no, I, like, your point like, is well. He they drafted him yeah. and he didn't turn out. You're, he he fits on the list you were saying, but it's just like he wasn't expecting yeah. to hear his name on this one. 
Um, who's the next five for them then? Just since we're on the topic, uh, out, outside of that five we just said, who are the other five guys who play the most minutes over the course of the season? I think I would. We haven't talked about Misic. I think he he's probably going to play because they signed him from Europe. Yeah. Right. I think Kenrich is better than J. Will, so I would probably say, you know, if he doesn't get traded, it's him. I believe in Isaiah Joe, so that's eight. I do too. I really like Isaiah Joe. He's on a, and he's on like a bargain contract. Um, I mean, is is Trey Mann like there? I mean, he played a yeah. Like Trey, Wayne, Trey Mann, games. Aaron Wiggins, they both played a lot last year. Wiggins. So I was looking at their their games played. Giddy seventy six, Jalen Williams the good, the really good one seventy five, Dort seventy four, Isaiah Joe seventy one, Aaron Wiggins sixty nine, Shea sixty eight, Trey Man sixty five. Yeah, and man had a good summer league. Um, Diang would be a, an option if like he could actually like prove himself. That would be like the fun one. I'm yeah. not really. I'm kind of out on Poku as a thing. I just. I'm sorry. Like it's if it's, but Diang would be one that if that could kind of come together from at age 20 when he played 38 games last year in the, in the NBA. And yeah, he just doesn't play like he's 20. He plays like he's like 18. It's kind of, he just still feels so raw, but it, you know, it should, you're right. It should start to come along, but yeah. And then, you know, Kassan Wallace, they have who they drafted. I think he could yep. easily play minutes and he seems like a pretty plug and play type of guy, but they have so many guards and creators already. You're not really sure if it's going to be him. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting, but I think those this, this eight we said are probably not locks, but that's probably their top eight. There, there is like a um, maybe a need for like you could do consolidate like two of these guys, like young guys that you're like kind of on to like get a slightly older veteran that fits better. I don't know who that guy is, but I could see like a world where you do that just to mm-hmm. kind of give a little more structure to your rotation, even if part of the, I think part of what I think Presti has done with this group is really just like kind of build it so you are kind of in the vein of like a not like a development situation fully as like a, as like some of these soccer teams are in Europe where it's like they're just, their whole thing is like we develop guys and give guys a chance to platform themselves and go somewhere else. I don't think that's what's happening here, but I do think his idea is like, let's get as many guys in as we can and competition wins out to some degree. Yeah. And I wouldn't expect all these guys to be on the roster you, I mean, by the start of the camp picks, next year. Right. I, I mean, with all the picks they have, they literally can't be. Like they, yeah, they have the Rockets like pick this year too. That's kind of one of the the big ones. They have Houston's pick, and I think we all, I think we both picked the over for Houston, or we, we even their over under number is already obviously higher than they were last year. But I don't think it would be crazy if they're in the lottery. So that's already one. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, what they are this year and whether it's fully developmental is probably a good segue to the best and worst case. I had best case everyone gets better, the sum is greater than the parts, and the Thunder are top four seed ahead of schedule. Yeah, I think best case for me is top six seed. I think the West is still really good. I think top four is like just a little. I'm gonna I'm gonna extend those parameters a little bit, but I think it's. Mm-hmm. It, I think if you want to look at what is the best case of how you get there, it's Shea drives it again, Chet hits the ground running, maybe wins Rookie of the Year, or is at least like a close number two to to Wembenyama, and Jalen Williams takes another step forward, and you feel like those three guys are your core. And and like I I I think you're right to be higher in him than Giddy. I know, but maybe there's also a role for Giddy there as well, or just something happens. Because I just, the, the Giddy passing stuff can just be so fun. But I think top six seed, and maybe win a playoff round. I mean, if you could if you could get to round two for this group this year, would be really, would be like, that's one of those things where it's like, even if you don't win the title and any of that, I think you could be, could be really impactful for them to kind of go through some of that. I mean, that's basically the track record with the Durant teams, right? They They almost made the playoffs one year. Then all of a sudden they're pushing the Kobe Lakers in the first round, right? And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. holy shit, they're in the finals, right? Like it does happen fast if you have enough young talent that all is getting better and playing together enough. Like that that jump can surprise people. Um, worst case I had, the front office and coaching staff slow roll everything to see what they have, and it's another play-in season. Same thing. I, I think if you I, this team should... I understand to some some degree to slow roll stuff. I understand some degree being patient. I don't think you should force things. But I think when you have someone as good as Shea, I think perpetually holding the group back for the sake of long-term building, I think it does some of these guys a disservice. I think it does the organization a disservice. And I think at some point, you kind of just got to go for it. You have the picks to get around not like being optimized with your own draft pick. You have the assets 
to go do some stuff if you want to and get around some of that. So to me, I think there's no. And you might already have back. a core that's good enough to win a championship. You may not even need to ever make the big move. Or like, if you use the assets to make a big move, it's to like overpay for the perfect fitting role guy, which is a luxury other teams do not have. Yeah, you do the Godfather offer for Mikhail Bridges that the Grizzlies allegedly wanted to do, right? Or you, you yeah. kind of you 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 have the luxury of picking exactly the right guy. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, did you see that Mannix said that they promised Shea they wouldn't bench him la- or rest him last year? That was kind of an interesting nugget because he did that big Shea Thunder profile preseason last year, and I guess he said he didn't really report it because it was never like like they had a contract signed with the guy, but. He was like, yeah, it was it was understood that that wasn't going to be an option this year. And I think Good. that's badass. <laughs> that Shea was like, uh, nuh-uh. And then he went out and proved it. He's like, look, we're going to win 40-plus games as long as you don't sit me. And then, sure enough. Yeah. This brings us to our last thing, the over-under, yes. which is at a very spicy number, Brendan, 44 and a half. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's. I think this is the one I have struggled with the most in in my initial instincts on this. To for reference of last season, if you go to their record, they were tenth at forty and forty two. So you're mm. saying you get Chet better health. Can you add four and a half wins? Albeit in a Western Conference that above them has not changed all that much. Brendan, I I'm taking the over. I'm going to be bold. I think it's going to be like forty five. Okay. Like somewhere in there, or like like like. It's going to just be slight, but I'm going to be an optimist about them. I think they can peel wins from the, the Wolves, the Pelicans, the Clippers season goes sideways. I, I think, I think you know, Portland won 33 games last year. They're probably just going to, like, drop 15 of those, something obscene, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think this is the team that could really capitalize on that in rack of wins. But I would, would I see, be surprised if they win, like, 43 or, like, get to 44 and don't actually cross – 44 and a half, but still have 44, which is what the Warriors won last year in the regular season. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it's right on the cusp. I completely agree. They were statistically a 43 win team last year, so they got a little bit unlucky. They weren't great in the clutch, which is actually kind of a surprise when you think uh, about what we think of Shea being able to do in those moments. They actually were uh, ninth, eighth, ninth from the bottom in terms of clutch net rating with a minus 6.1 per hundred possessions in the clutch. So I just think they have too many positive players to be bad. I think as long as they're relatively healthy, I think even their young guys are good now. Even their young guys are, are things you would players you would expect to, to drive winning. So get a little better in the half court offensively, ideally. Get, you know, even better defensively. If everybody young, young player-wise contributes like we think, you're asking for two more wins than what they were statistically last year. I know the real win total matters, but even five I think is is possible. I probably would not bet this one though. Because again, I do I, think what the organization wants, like it's one thing to not sit Shea, but it's like, how do they bring Chet along? You know, do they really I mean, Chet play Chet might not play back-to-backs. The... He might not sure. play back-to-backs. He might play 60 games this year. It's very possible mm-hmm. he's not even eligible to win rookie of the year. Yeah. So that kind of all cumulatively, I'm like, they might not want to be the sixth seed, you know. They might not want to drive themselves into the ground just to win three more games if they could just be the seven, eight, nine seed and test their luck that way. They're going to be good enough to be in that mix either way, though. Kind of want to see them just get out of the play-in. Same. Just it's going to be the play-in in the West, though. Again, this is some of the teams that like essentially could be like the Warriors, the Lakers, the Thunder, the Pelicans. The Warriors were only one game out of the play-in last year. The Clippers yeah. were only one game out of the play-in last year. Like you're going to get some really name brand stuff in the in the West play-in. A little less so in the East, I would suspect. But the West play-in this year could just be like full of some spice. Not going to be easy, but the talent, man. But that might push them. Adam Silver might get what he wants with the regular season. It's just guys playing all 82 so they don't have to do the play-in. And they get like Great. a week off. As long as Adam gets what he wants, we're all happy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Coming up next, Caitlin Cooper. Basketball, she wrote, Indiana Pacers expert to help us preview Tyrese Halliburton and Rick Carlisle's Indiana Pacers. We are going to wrap up today being joined by the great Caitlin 
Cooper, who, if you haven't already, I'm doing it right now because I realized I hadn't, and I feel bad about that. Subscribe to her amazing Patreon basketball she wrote, where she does a ton of great basketball stuff. I think, Caitlin, you are best in tune, most in tune with the Indiana Pacers. So we're going to talk with you about the Indiana Pacers. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, but the, the subtitle of the blog is a blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers. So I like to think of it as I write about basketball through the lens of the Pacers. So there we go. There we go. It's a it's it's a good, interesting team, and in a world where um, let's just the the way things have happened with basketball media, I'm glad that you are still doing things and building a platform that way. To, to start with the Pacers, I want there's a very to me a very obvious answer to our first question, which is mm-hmm. most important player, and I I don't I I tried to talk myself into other answers, but I think it's just Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer is Tyrese in part because of what happened last season, right? They're, they started to find their footing. They had a stretch where they went 8-2 and two after they had moved Aaron Neesmith into the starting lineup at the 4. Tyrese was really showing some things in the clutch, and then they play the Knicks. He injures his elbow and his knee, and for the next 10 games, they won one game. And they never just they just never really recaptured that magic. So it kind of set their season on a different trajectory. And when he came back, they still never completely found their footing. And then they pivoted to rebuilding. And like when you look at the on-offs, like they went seven and nineteen without him. When he was on the court, their effective field goal percentage was better than the Denver Nuggets, who led the NBA. When he was off the court, their effective field goal percentage was the equivalent of the Toronto Raptors. So they turned the ball over a lot in the minutes when he didn't play, which actually made their defense worse, which is interesting, especially during that 10-game stretch because you wouldn't think of Tyrese as like a lockdown defender. But when you're not making as many shots and you're turning the ball over more, it made things already hard on a defense that just, quite frankly, wasn't very good last year. But I actually have a different answer for this question than Tyrese Halliburton. Love so, it. yeah, I mean, I think he's the obvious answer is the most important player. It was very key to lock him up on the five-year max this summer. But I think if the Pacers want to get to the next level, they're saying they want to make it to the playoffs. If they want to sneak in at, like, number six or be a feisty play-in team and get out of the play-in tournament, I think that's going to come from a player other than Tyrese and Miles Turner. Somebody else is going to have to establish themselves, and I think that that has to be Benedict Matherin. Whether they get into the playoffs or just getting to the end of next season, I think that they definitively need to be able to look at Benedict Mather and say he is a critical piece of our core. And I don't think that they can definitively say that right now, but they need to be able to say it in a year. I like it. Um, can we talk about Halliburton? Well, I, I want to go back to Halliburton, then do Matherin, because that's sure. I think both are interesting. And I, I look, you know, at at what Tyrese did last year. Just a huge step forward in terms of, I think, just kind of volume of everything, playmaking, pull-up threes, rim attacks, a lot of the stuff that drives efficient offense jumped. And it's no surprise, some of the stats and record stuff that you listed off, that the team was a lot better, that he drove winning for them, drove their offensive efficiency and everything else. Um, What do you think, because we've gone a few teams into this preview now, and we've talked about guys like LaMelo Ball or... We talk a lot about Josh Giddy during the FIBA tournament and this generation of guard that you can kind of group in together that make their teammates a lot better, but have a little bit of strange style to their game and do it a little bit differently than maybe Chris Paul, you know, or, or somebody in, in the previous generation point guard wise might have done it. What do you think it is about Halliburton specifically that creates such a big impact on other players, maybe different than some of those other guys in this generation that I just listed off? Like what makes him such an impactful teammate and offensive driver? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. Number one, the thing that popped the most when he came over to the Pacers from the Kings is how much he wants to play in transition, even off of makes. And that was a little bit of a give and take because the first four games they were playing transition frequency hopped up to like 13th in the NBA. And I was like, oh, this this might be something here. And then for the rest of those 26 games, they went down to the bottom five, which was more like a, what a Rick Carlisle team had been over the past like six or seven. And some of that's Luca because he wants to play at a very methodical pace. But then here comes last season and the Pacers were number four in transition frequency, top five in pace, second in time to shoot after a made shot. And you can just watch him when – the Pacers are so quick, like Buddy Heald practically wants to jump two rows into the stands if the ball goes out of bounds because they want to inbound it that quickly. Mm-hmm. And Tyrese himself kind of has this quirk where he doesn't even look at the inbound passer. Like if, if the opposing team makes a shot, he's always peeking over his shoulder because he wants to see where his teammates are going on leak outs. So that's kind of the number one thing that I think is unique about him and how the Pacers are building an identity around him is very much built around we need to load up and win the possession war and how many possessions we're going to get in transition. And then also just 
it it takes a lot for him not to want to defer. He's very pass first, and that was almost to his detriment at times. So when I said that about the eight and two stretch and him kind of establishing himself in clutch time, it takes a lot for him to want to look for that shot. And that was kind of a sticking point too over those 26 games because it would get in times in crunch time where, you know, a lot of times in fourth quarters, opposing teams go to switching. And when a big mm-hmm. switch is out on him, he's not somebody who really drives a switch to the basket often against a big. He has to kind of go to his right side step three in order to create separation to get that shot. And last year he found a number of hacks to get around that. And one of them that I think when you're saying like unique ways is like imagine they're playing the heat. If he gets a switch against Bam, he'll get off the ball quickly, move Bam to the weak side. And then because they have a guy like Andrew Nemhard. They throw the ball to Nemhard and then they drive toward the big. So Andrew intentionally drives toward Bam. The natural inclination for a big is to then help on that drive. Then Andrew passes it back to Tyrese and he can attack that switch through a closeout then instead of just, you know, mm-hmm. spinning his tires head on against the switch. So there's a lot of little unique things like that of how he kind of thinks and processes the game in a slightly different way than I think what's normally expected at that position. Chris, you got anything else on Hallie, or can we give her the floor on on Ben? No, let's talk about Ben, because if we're going to go to the next question, player we're going to be talking about at the end of the season, this is my answer for that, okay. because I, I love him. I love what this guy could be, and if he pops, and he, I think, has the best chance of anyone not named Halliburton or Turner on this team to really pop, things get... I think really interesting really quick if he can be something of, of kind of what his upside projects it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think the two things that stand out most about Ben, especially from his rookie season on the positive side, is that his first step is very deceptive. He plays out a triple threat, and it can be very hard to know. Like, is he his go-to is to jab right and go left, but he can also use like a, a stutter rip and get to his right. It's very hard to know which direction he's going to drive in. And then his flexibility in the air and his ability to kind of master the dark arts of drawing contact. I've cited this stat a lot, but there was like 25 games last year where he didn't make a three for the Pacers and the Pacers still won his minutes and 11 of those because he averaged over six free throw attempts per game in those particular contests. So there's, there's definite things headed into the second season. I wrote about this a little bit on Patreon, the changes coming for him because his shot did not fall over the back end of the season. He ended up finishing out at about a 31% conversion rate on catch-and-shoot jump shots. He started seeing shorter closeouts, and because he is so wired to catch and drive, he needs to be shooting more in flow when he sees those shorter closeouts. And then he had one of the lowest pass rates in the NBA on drives among people who averaged at least five drives per game. So he's going to have to hit in-flow shots better. He's going to need to process passes at the rim better than also his defense and if he can if he can fix one of those two things which I think the shooting is going to be the easiest for him I think he's a better shooter than what he showed last year then things could really click for him but I do think that he'll see different defensive coverages than what he saw for the majority of last season which is why I think he's such a key swing player yeah and I mean obviously the kind of big narrative reputation of this team was the discrepancy between their transition offense and half court offense. It feels yeah. like some of the free throw drawing and just ability to be his man I mean just plain and simple in the half court he seems like at least of the guys on the roster now the guy who you would think could do that uh you know kind of for them and be the driver maybe even late in games the ball's in his hands more or he develops some more chemistry with Tyrese with some of the stuff. Uh, that you were talking about with Nemhard or some of the other guards that Halliburton played with. So I, I think that balancing of their team, you know, strengths and weaknesses is, is a really cool aspect for him too. I I just, you know, I, you know, of course didn't watch him as much as you did, but to me just, I, I you know, he's kind of in my backyard in college. And then the little bit that I did see last year, handful of games, like to me, he feels like, understanding reading processing is all that's holding him back from being able to play up to his potential as a shooter and a passer. I mean, he, I guess it remains to be seen what the ceiling is, but I didn't watch him and think like some players, you just know they're, they don't really know where to go with the ball. They don't really read the floor. They don't know where the defense is going to be rotating. I think he does and he can create advantages so easily that those passes are going to become more natural. The shoot versus, you know, attack a closeout stuff is going to be more natural for him um, than other guys who are literal like spot up players, you know, just a shooter who's having to learn that. I think it'll be a little bit easier for him in my opinion. Um, 
if we want to jump to my guy for who we're going to be talking about, I don't know if we have more thoughts on Matherin, um, but I had Jairus Walker mm. because, again, thinking about this team and what I think they were lacking most kind of reminds me of the Pistons who we talked about last week, Chris, or I guess two weeks ago by the time this goes up. They just did not have a lot in the way of wing athleticism and wing size and guys to really guard. Like I, re- I rewatched their game against Dallas uh, and they were playing Jordan Nwora on Luka. And then by the end of the game, they had to pull Nwora out because that just wasn't tenable. He's not one of their five best players, so it didn't make sense to close the game with him. They're just they're just riffing through different players. And I think Jarris presents the most obvious solution to some of the on-ball defense, but also turnover creation, switchability. He projects as a really big difference maker on defense in a variety of ways, I think, in a way that just nobody else does for them. So I know we've only seen a little bit in terms of college and summer league, Caitlin, but what do you think of, of his potential on this roster? I really liked that you brought up against about that game against Dallas because they were putting Nora on him very early in the first half. And then you probably noticed, too, that like after some makes and after some made free throws, they were trapping Luka 75 feet yeah. from the basket. <laughs> yeah. Miles is out there at the, yes, the half-court line. <laughs> yeah. Right, with with Miles Turner typically so that they were trying to induce like longer hang time passes so that they could mm-hmm. rotate and force things out. And that's kind of the extreme tactics that they had to go to a lot. Like you even saw in that game too, that like if Luca hunted Tyrese, they immediately would put somebody at the nail because they had to, like it was almost like a quasi two, three zone. They just didn't have enough size in a lot of the iterations because they needed to go down to playing Aaron Neesmith at the four, that there was just so much where they were either having to go like switch to blitz or doubling post players or whatever. So just by virtue of having Jarris and his size and what his wingspan is, I think that that does have potential to relax the defense a bit because even if you're not thinking of like a wing stopper, they didn't have a secondary rim protector. Like they didn't play minutes with Isaiah Jackson and Miles Turner together. I think the two of them played like 17 minutes together. So they really didn't have an option for having somebody back there to provide a backstop. Like, and if you could move miles away from the basket, then it's like, okay, buddy heals the low man. Like that's like a nine one one call. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what the defense was a lot of times. So I really, Jarris has very quick, deft hands. He has good instincts off ball as the low man. I think that he can step in and help them. Like, I don't, I, I kind of doubt he'll be a starter on day one just because of how they handled Matherin last year. My guess is it will be a camp battle between Jarris and Obi, and I wouldn't be surprised if Obi ends up getting the nod to start the season. But Jarris definitely fills a hole. There's no one else who really represents what he has to offer at that position on the roster. Can I, I will just want the, this is, not, this wasn't initially going to sneak in here, but because he came up, I actually kind of like the OB top in addition for them as yep. a buy low, just because catching lobs from Halliburton, former first round pick who maybe there's still some upside with, albeit, you know, he was a little bit older coming out of college. And it's just like another body who's a little bit athletic. And I think the profile of this team has just a lot of athleticism built into it. And it's that with Carlisle to me is such a fascinating pairing. And if, if if Halliburton and Toppin had, like, 15 just, like, alley-oops in the air that just melted our brains, and they're great in transition when those two are on the floor together, like, I wouldn't be surprised, and they gave up nothing for him. Exactly. Really. Yeah, I mean, I think that the environment is definitely set up for Obi to have the best chance at being successful in the pop, more so than what the environment was for him in New York. I mean, I did a podcast earlier today, and this is, like, a crazy stat to me. Obi for his entire career has finished 27 shots rolling to the basket. That's all he's ever had because he's always played with Nerlens Noel and Mitchell wow. Robinson and Taj Gibson. Like Tibbs always has a rim protector on the floor when he's out there. Mm-hmm. So he never really has the opportunity to be the role man. He's already mm-hmm. said he ran a, ca- a camp over in Dayton. And he said that he's talked to Rick Carlisle about the fact that he'll get to play around the basket more. Like last year, he took more threes than ever. He had fewer paint touches than ever. And he screened less than ever because that's what the Knicks needed him to do. And to his credit, he adapted to that. He became a quicker trigger shooter. But I think what you just said, you know, playing in a high transition scheme where he can leak out and run with Tyrese, having a big on the floor who doesn't necessarily have to be rolling to the basket. Miles can step out and space out the three, like everything's set up to be successful to him. Now, how much that impact will have on Miles and Jarris is another question. Like if mm-hmm. Obi comes over and he does pop, what does that mean for Jarris's long-term fit at that spot? And what does it mean for Miles Turner when Miles has been last year very much showed for him in his career year that he needs to be a five defended by fives. So if Obi's out there doing more of the role man stuff and maybe isn't shooting the three as well as he did last year, does that mean Miles starts getting defended by fours? Maybe. But I do think that we'll be talking about Obi Toppin differently at the end of the season 
than what people are thinking of him right now. Chris, I'm fascinated that you said you didn't expect Obi Toppin to come up because as we roll into best lineup, I kind of want to go first. And I feel like uh, this has been the hardest one we've done it is. to me. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, like some of the other teams we've talked about, I'm like, okay, you know, the Pistons, like throw the young guys they need to develop in there you know, a little pick and roll tandem and some shooters that are big, you know, like that's, that's kind of the deal. Like with this one, uh, it's, it's very up in the air, but, um, is it, I, is it cool if I go first and then we have Caitlin respond? Is that, is that feel like a good way to do it? Cause I feel like if we hear from Caitlin first and we're, you and I are just going to be like, well, I just kind of think it's that now, you know? Um, so please do, this is hard. I want (laughs) to hear your ideas. So I'm preface, I'll preface this to say, as we talked about, uh, to try to put out what last year's was, Chris. It was Halliburton, Matherin, Heald, and Smith turner just in terms of net rating, possession uh, teams that played or lineups that played more than 100 possessions. That was their best one. The trio of Halliburton, Heald, Turner was plus five per 100. Those three guys are in most of their best lineups, and most of their best lineups were kind of that smaller, just Halliburton, Turner, and then shooting, you know, for the most part. That was kind of the recipe to get their best statistical lineups out there. So, with that said, my best lineup for, for these, this year's Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton, has to be out there, going to juice their transition yeah. offense, growing as a half-court scorer, makes everybody better. Key would've core player, Would have been a swerve to be like, actually, Halley's not in my best five, and we're it would've. skipping. Would have been a real swerve for me. Yeah. It would have. Uh, ben Matherin, I do have in here. I think he's going to take a step forward in terms of ball movement, in terms of shooting, to be a little bit more of a net positive out there, and hopefully the defense comes along as well. I have Buddy Heald still. People don't know about his future on this team. Is he going to get traded this year? Is he going to be on this team long term? Is he going to get usurped by Matherin? I think for now, his shooting is so valuable. He does have good chemistry with Halliburton, and I think he's still a positive with how good of a shooter he is. I have Obi Toppin at the four. I think his shots are going to come more easily than they have in the past. I think he's going to have more open threes. That should juice his percentage there. I think he can you know, score around the basket a little bit more in the half court and in transition than he has before. And I just think you know, with Miles Turner, his defense should be passable like it was in New York. And as I already said, Miles Turner, he's the best defender on this team. He can do a lot of different things on that end of the court. He spaces for others on the other end and has good chemistry with Halliburton in and of himself. So that's, I tried to approximate it from what they did great last year, but also this team's going to look a lot different. And I left a huge name off in Bruce Brown. Yeah. I what think, do we got? I think that that would be like your closing lineup. If you're trying to hold on to a lead, like if you're already, okay. If you're already up like six with like however many minutes to go, I think that you could probably go and look at that. I think part of the problem with Obi is so much of it is projection because he yeah. did play in a Knicks defensive scheme where they, they basically did not switch with him at the four spot. He will do a lot of switching with the Pacers at the four mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little bit harder for me to slot him directly in there. But I do like that you went ahead with Buddy because I don't know how many people like outside of Indiana readily know like – what the wavelength is between Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, both in transition and in the half court. Like the number one thing they do late in games when Tyrese gets a switch is have Buddy go set a ghost screen. And like they're they're they very narrowly outscored opponents with both of them on the court. They got wrecked in the minutes that were only Buddy without Tyrese. And they also got wrecked in the minutes that were only Tyrese without Buddy. So I do think that both of them would be out there. I would probably lean with Bruce at the four, strangely enough, mm, over Obi okay. with those other four. And then I would flip-flop it and say that if they are down six and they need to fight to get back in a lineup, I think that you might be looking at Tyrese, Andrew, Bruce, Miles, and then potentially Buddy to keep the shooting. Or maybe I sneak in here, Jairus Walker. Mm -hmm. Love the five-out possibilities with this team. Love the five-out possibilities. Or five, maybe not five-out exactly, but like five-out adjacent. No, they with, play. They play five out with Miles. Yeah, for sure. Well, but I mean, I mean, like, is 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 Walker gonna like if maybe they sneak him at the five or something, and then like, can you do it? Um, I oh, like playing Jarris at the five. Yeah, yeah, like let's get weird. I don't know if what Carlisle's like stomach for some of the weird modern stuff would be, um, but I want to see it. They like, played Jarris some at the five in summer league, and I I broached that idea because the one thing is, is if you swing Jarris some to the five and have him do. You know, kind of some of the Draymond stuff, fake handoff, short roll, which he 
he has in his bag. He didn't show a lot of it at Houston, but he does have that. The one thing that that allows you to do is it makes it easier to get Aaron Neesmith minutes. Like if you're playing some minutes, potentially even with Toppin and Jarris both out there at the same time, it's easier to find a way to keep Aaron Neesmith in the rotation than if you're playing a different backup five. I do like the idea of lineups with all three of Brown, Walker, and Turner. Like defensively, whether you're switching or you know, one through four, one through five, playing more conservatively, whatever it looks like. I think the lineups with those three is just going to be something way different than they had the ability to throw out there defensively with any version of their roster. You know, maybe TJ McConnell, you throw him in there as well, and you're really just like locking down and, and starting to worry about your offense. But uh, the, the lineup combinations are a lot more fun this year for sure. You had the same lineup, Chris, as Caitlin. Hal- that was your best one. Halberton, Matherin. Buddy Heald, I, I want the shooting. Like, I understand he is kind of a one-way player, but, like, the value he gives you as a shooter does genuinely f- make defenses freak out, and there's not a lot of shooters like that. There's not many shooters yeah. who scare defenses like that as much as him. There's just a ton of value in it. Bruce Brown, like, I I understand he got a massive amount of money, but that's a really good, smart basketball player who's going to make winning plays on this team. Like, he has to be on there to me, and then Turner at the five is, is a lock. Yeah. yeah. All right. Best case, yeah. I, I to me, this is very simple. Hallie just takes another level up. Matherin pops. Brown gives them a ton that really at like he's just so additive in his role. They get a like did you whatever the future holds with that. Like this year at least, you get a ton of value out of him. You get the awesome coaching bump from Carlisle, and this team is like really competitive in the playoff race. Like I. Th- upper end of the play in into the six seed competition. Like I think the ceiling on this team of everything kind of clicks into Walker's good right away, or at least complimentary right away. There's like, there, this team's going to be annoying to play like absolutely for teams in the Eastern conference. Mm-hmm. They're going to be really annoying. It wouldn't shock me if like we look at the playing tournament and if they just like kind of just went on a little bit of a run there just because of the way they play and they have the motivation to care for those games, frankly, and the way that a more veteran team might not. I think this team's going to be tons of fun if everything pops right. Uh, I love it. I will go next. I just had um, Brown upgrades a perimeter defense, fits well next to Halliburton, while Toppin, Walker, Nimhard, and Matherin all take a step forward. You know, they're still a young team. This team did not go all in and try to, you know, they did sign one veteran, but, you know, even he's fairly young, and Toppin was kind of their big trade, and he's also young, so... I don't think that their upside is like X veteran, you know, carries them to a higher floor. I think it is a lot about development and good thing is they're developing from a pretty good season last year. And some of those stats and the record standpoint that Caitlin cited, you know, 500 with Halberton and all the rest, like that's, you know, starting to talk about playoffs, like you said. So I won't, I won't, uh, get to my over under yet but that's my best case um worst case i had uh, or no caitlin go ahead with your best case yeah i mean to avoid repeating because you guys both brought up great stuff um i think that they set up themselves over the summer mainly to try to make a push for the playoffs without sacrificing their overall flexibility so with that in mind i think that you know you hope like what chris said that you're a feisty team that's annoying to play during the regular season. Giannis made a comment about this last year that, you know, it's really hard to go play the Pacers and play at that tempo on, you know, any given night. So I think that you hope that you're that, but you're also doing it without sacrificing development. So, you know, Andrew's getting to run bench offense, you know, you're not, prioritizing TJ McConnell and Bruce doesn't shrink his role so much that Andrew's not still getting to do that. Ben by the end of the year looks like a critical foundational piece. You know that he's part of your core. And also if Obi Toppin does come over and looks like a steal for the two second round picks that that doesn't so um, impact Jairus Walker's development as well. I think that that's what you're hoping for with the best case scenario. On the flip side, the worst case scenario of that would be the exact opposite. That The change that comes for Benedict reveals that like, oh, his shot still isn't falling. The passing hasn't come. This is mostly a feel issue that just hasn't corrected itself and the defense hasn't really come around either. We're now thinking that he's more of a sixth man and Andrew plays off ball with the second bench unit and TJ McConnell's running offense all year because you can't be using him as an off ball guard and they don't demote him. And Jarris Walker gets, you know, hard capped by Obi Toppin. And then you've done all of this and you get to the play in tournament and you lose anyways. So you've sacrificed the development of three key young players and then you don't actually make it to the playoffs. To, to me, that would be the worst case scenario. 
Chris, you and I are going to have a lot of competition when we get to that Suns-Cavs preview episode to uh, outdo some of the panic that happens when we bring these local people on uh, to, to give us the worst case about their teams. There's nothing like imagining the worst version of something you care deeply about. I feel like it brings uh, it brings very uh, creative outcomes from everybody. Uh, I just, for worst case, had the defensive slippage continues and the season feels like yeah. de- deja vu of last year. That was kind of a little more concrete, but you know, just like big on-off swings with some of their best players, the depth young and old that they added doesn't really super fit or you know, substantially result in wins, and they kind of just... Record-wise, look a little similar. You still wonder about the defense, and then big picture, it's like, did the team get different enough or better enough to feel like you took a step forward, even if individual guys might? So that's kind of where I had it. And then I did have under. Um, under 38.5 is what they are uh, over at DraftKings. When we looked, they were 31-win team statistically last year, but I think they're still fairly thin, fairly young, as we talked about. I think they'll improve from last year, which I think was 35, if I'm remembering right. Uh, Don't have it in front of me. And so I think they can get better, but still might top out at 37 or 38. You know, you're asking for a four-win improvement and an eight-win improvement on what they were statistically. That would be a pretty big jump with not a lot of roster changeover to get them there. What do you got, Chris? I'm going slightly over at like 39.40. Do I feel confident about it? No, I think everything you said is accurate. I think, but I, I just, there's something about this team that I like and I'm confident in it. And I just, I, I'm going to believe, I'm going to be positive here uh, and, and believe okay. in Tyrese Halliburton and, and a year two pot for Matherin and, and all of this. I just, I just like a lot of what is here in a way that I'm curious to just be, I'm just going to be optimistic about it. Live it, you know, projecting what you want to see in the world. Okay. I like it. Caitlin. Yeah, last year when Tyrese and Miles were both available and before they had switched into development mode, they played at a 44 win rate with a very slightly negative net rating. So basically they were the Miami Heat, and that means they're going to the NBA Finals. That was That's the equivalent <laughs> of what is. we're looking at here. Um, so I, I will lean the over. Um, I think that it's weird because last year I took the under. I thought that they would end up trading Buddy and Miles, and I didn't think they were going to be as good as they ended up being. And now I feel like I'm probably a bit too optimistic. But it wouldn't take them – making a huge leap defensively for me to see them outscoring opponents by like one or two points per 100. I think that they just need to get to be like a top 20 defense. I'm, I'm like, I'm aiming for like 19 here. Like that, that's what we need to get to. And I think that they can cobble together a lot more lineups that are like, Oh, there's not so many weak links on the floor now between people. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't know that the initial starting lineup is necessarily going to be that, but I think they can w- work their way to more of those. And I do think that there's going to be some scheme changes um, based on what I saw at summer league, where there's going to be some simplification. So I think that that will help as well. So I'm going to take the over. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations in, in joining me. And well, I'm joining you, I should say, in Pacers Optimism. Brendan's just a, a hater. <laughs> um, okay. Chris, I'm, you know, I'm really like... looking forward to seeing by the end of this how many, you know, when you go over on 28 of 30 or something, but it's okay. Look, uh, all the wins for every team, except like the Sixers. Okay. Definitely nuking okay. under on the Sixers. Uh, Kaylin, just before we go, tell everyone again about your Patreon, what, what, your work, what the work you're doing over there, and, and how they can support your work. Right. So my Twitter handle is at C2 underscore Cooper. If you go there, the link to the Patreon will be there. It's patreon.com slash basketball, she wrote. And I try to do deep dives. Like I said, it's called the subtitles, a blog about the basketball played by the Indiana Pacers. But I don't think I just write about the Pacers. I think I write about, as you guys in your title, I think I just write about basketball. So Love it. Yeah. Love it. Please go subscribe to that. We'll be back with more Just Basketball this week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And enjoy the hoops.